While you're turning there, I do want to thank you all very much for praying for me uh, last week. Uh, while you were here worshiping, I was uh, at the doctor being told I, I wouldn't make it 24 hours if I didn't get to the hospital. And the only reason I tell you that, he was overdramatic. It's a great reminder you know, of how frail our lives are, you know, like that. And we better get about what is important uh, in this life. So thank you for praying. And Jason Strong is here again this morning. Thank you, Jason, so much last week for last minute filling the pulpit for us. Uh, we appreciate it. So thank you so much. Uh, so Deuteronomy chapter 1. Uh, we're returning again this morning to uh, our series on Deuteronomy. And we are looking at this book for a long time so that you and I can know the character of God better and honor him more, which is what we all need to do in our lives. We need to know God better. We need to honor him more. We're looking at the book of Deuteronomy so that you and I will better be able to live lives that God intends us to live. So that you and I will be healthy people in body, mind, and spirit. We all need that. We need that in our lives. But thirdly, we are looking at the book of Deuteronomy so that we will be able to get on with what really is important in our lives as individuals and as a church. And that's being a blessing to the land in which God has placed us, here in Ansonboro, in Charleston, to the parts of the world where we have ministry internationally, so that we bless this city and those places with the gospel of Christ, with all the implications for, for society, with all the implications for life that the gospel brings, and with all the transformation that's possible through the gospel. We've been looking at how the Lord prepared his people ahead of time So that when they entered the promised land, they would be able to fulfill the purpose to which God had called them. That they would live lives of faith, that they would live lives of trust, that they would live lives of obedience to God, that they would live lives of worship before the Lord, so that the nations around them would see and worship God as well. That's what we seek. That's what you and I seek, the same thing. To live such lives, to worship in such a way, that those around us take notice, that they too are changed and transformed by the gospel. So if you have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Beginning chapter 1, verse 9, this is the word of the Lord. This is Moses preaching to the people. At that time I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise, understanding and respected men from each of your tribes and I will set them over you. You answered me. What you propose to do is good. And so I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and as tribal officials. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your brothers and judge fairly, whether the case is between brother Israelites or between one of them and an alien. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time, I told you everything you were to do. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we ask now that you would bless the reading and hearing of your word as you promise that you will do. Lord, may your spirit be the teacher this morning, opening our hearts to understand your truth. Lord, may your spirit apply that truth to our lives so that we are changed people, so that we are different people because we've been here together in your word today. And Lord, all of it, we pray, would be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Preacher Moses believed the best way to prepare the people to enter into the land is to remember, to remind them of some things they already knew about God, some truths they'd already experienced. I believe that's a good course for us uh, to follow as well this morning. To look at some things that we already know about God, some things that we have already experienced. The first being that God is a, a faithful God. He is a God uh, of continuity. Look with me, if you will, in verse 10. Moses says there, the Lord, your God, has increased your numbers. In this verse, a very intentional shift takes place uh, in the language. Moses refers to God here as your God, and that's a purposeful change. If you will look back in verse 6. In that verse, Moses said, the Lord, our God, said to us. The Lord, our God. Now look in verse 8. Moses is quoting God, and he says, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to their descendants after them. So we look at verse 8, verse 6 and 8 and 10, and we watch Moses move from our God to the Lord of your fathers to your God. So follow the flow. Verse 6, our God, present tense. God is the God of our fathers, verse 8. That's the past tense. Then in verse 10, God is your God. God into a future in which Moses will never participate. It's almost as if Moses is a a detached observer here. And he is passing God on to these people. Because Moses is never going to leave the east side of the Jordan River. He is never going to enter the promised land with these people. But God will. And that is exactly his point. God is consistently God over all time. Past, present, and future. And that's the message. That's the truth with which Moses sends the people into the promised land. The timelessness of God. The centrality of God uh, to, to every time, to every generation. And I know that that's a truth that you and I know. I know it's a truth that we believe. But how confident are we to communicate that message and that truth to those around us? That God, and God alone, is always the absolute standard by which everything else is to be compared. God is the constant in the universe. He's always the center around which everything else is to orbit. God cannot be relegated. God cannot be consigned to one particular time and considered irrelevant to the rest. He is God, past, present, and future. Oldsmobile didn't like its image. It had gotten a little embarrassing. Oldsmobile in the 1980s, they came to be perceived as cars for mature people. Old people 
drove Oldsmobiles, grandmas and grandpas in their big old Delta 98s, you know, cruising down the road. Oldsmobile communicated traditional American values and middle class achievement. But by the 1980s, it stayed traditional American values and middle class achievement as an idea. They weren't in vogue anymore. That wasn't really what was popular. And so Oldsmobile wanted to change that image and retell their story and distance themselves from everything that they had been in the past. And so they came up with a commercial. And this commercial has gone down as one of the all-time classic American advertising failures. And if you weren't alive in 1988, maybe many of you weren't. Maybe you don't remember the commercial or the jingle, but maybe you've heard it since. This was the line. This is not your father's Oldsmobile. This is the new generation of Olds. Anybody remember that commercial? Anybody remember that commercial? Anybody ever heard that commercial before? You guys are way too young. Anyway, William Shatner, better known as Captain Kirk on Star Trek, his college-age daughter appeared in the commercial. And she said, my father drove around in a spaceship. So it's no surprise that I want to drive something space age. And so she gets in the Oldsmobile and she jets off. And suddenly Captain Kirk materializes beside her in the passenger seat. And she drives the two of them off into the the, the galaxy, I suppose. Because this is not your father's Oldsmobile. Well, the campaign didn't work. Because as you know, they don't make Oldsmobiles anymore. Which was sad. When they went out of business, they were the oldest making car, the oldest model of car in the United States. What happened? Well, they forgot their identity. They forgot who they were. Oldsmobile tried to tell a different story, one that radically broke with the essence of what the brand stood for. And what about all those loyal Oldsmobile owners that had their second or third or their fourth Oldsmobile sitting out in the garage? What about them? What message did they get? You know, you should really be embarrassed that you were backward enough and and, uh, uh, out of touch enough that you bought one of those old Oldsmobiles. See, I think that sometimes you and I, as 21st century Christians, are a little bit like the advertising executives at Oldsmobile. You know, God is our Father's God. God is our grandfather's God, but that was another time, another place. Now he seems a little bit out of place in our world. And maybe sometimes just a little bit we're embarrassed when people find out in certain settings that yes, we still believe in God. You mean your father's God? Dude, this is the new generation. If we keep God in here, it's fine. Because we all get it. We're all on the same page. But out there in the world, it's a different story. And maybe we feel God is a little bit old-fashioned and out of touch for this high-tech, hip, cool generation. Where does God fit in? How does He fit in? And so we subtly try to recreate Him, to market God, to make Him more palatable for a new generation. But imagine what would have happened if Oldsmobile had been successful. What happens when the cultural moment of the 1980s passes? And we all know that that moment passed. And all you have to do is watch the commercial and you will laugh at what we thought was hip, cool, and space age back in the 1980s. 
What happens if traditional middle class values come back into vogue? What happens if hip and cool and high tech goes out of style and people once again crave what is solid and traditional? Then what happens to the image that you have recreated? See, if we keep trying to recreate, we lose all credibility. We lose our own identity. God is God, centrally, consistently, past, present, and future. James 1, verse 17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Consistency, faithfulness, continuity over time, these are concepts that are almost completely forgotten in our present culture. And yet they're longed for. It's what people want. Consistency and continuity. And so that's the good news we have about our God. God is a standard that does not change. Everything else does. Philosophies come and go. Trends change. I mean, Piggly Wiggly is closing. Is anything in our world secure? Yeah, God is. He's faithful, consistent. Their God, past. Our God, present. Your God, the next generation. And one of the ways that you and I can bless this culture in which God has placed us that's so often unstable and uncertain. And when is it all going to fall apart, change? It's by pointing them to our consistent God. Hebrews 13.8. You know it well. Jesus Christ is the same when. Yesterday, today, and when? Forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's the unmoving rock in our world. Jesus Christ, the only true anchor. Never changes. He's never irrelevant. You look at this picture behind me, you think, yeah, he's irrelevant. What would a guy who dresses like that have to say to me in my life right now? in this time, in this place. But do you think he would dress like that if he went out with you to a restaurant right now? Jesus is always forward-moving, forward-thinking. Jesus is moving all of history toward restoration. His payment for sin on the cross was the investment. There on the cross, Jesus put all he had, his life, his body, his blood... Here it is, all of it. He invested it on the cross. That's what he did in the past. And that one-time investment that he made of, of his very life has been paying dividends of grace ever since for you and for me. It's what we live on right now. It's what you and I survive on right now in this moment is the grace of God that we experience through faith in Jesus Christ who is a person who is as relevant to 2013 as he ever has been to its people to its issues. And he's relevant because he lives right now in us, with us, interceding for us. And so we don't need to re-image the Lord. And I'm not suggesting that our glorious God is a product to be marketed. He absolutely is not. He is a person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with a story. The most incredible story of all time because all of time is his story. And so you and I have got to have complete confidence in God and His consistency to tell others about Him. God doesn't need us to recreate Him or re-image Him or tell a different story. 
He doesn't need us to make him relevant. He's always relevant. God is never a relic from the past. Think about it. Our most powerful telescopes can't even get to the end end of, much less see everything that God created eons and eons and eons ago. He's not a relic. Modern science, we can't even catch up to God, much less ever surpass him or leave him in the dust. We can't even do what he did, create life out of nothing that God did in the very beginning of time. Never a relic, never irrelevant to any culture of any time. God and his story, they stand. No matter how the trappings of worship may change, the buildings, the music, the attire of the clergy, congregants may go from bonneted hair, which they had when this building was built, to purple or pink hair. They may go from silk sleeves to tattooed sleeves. But the story of God is the same. And the power of God is the same. Through the gospel, it transforms people of all time. It's only with confidence in our story that we will ever be a blessing to our culture. When we believe that there is no thing or no one more cutting edge than God. Some say if you missed the 1970s, you didn't miss much. But I'd say it was hard to, believe, hard to beat a group of Christians gathered together, eyes closed, sometimes holding hands, singing, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Y'all know that song? You know that song? You want to sing it? You want to sing that song? Jesus is the answer for the world today. You know it? Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Don't be embarrassed for me. Sing with me. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. I'm going to give you one more chance. Let's sing it out. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Come on. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Now we take that message out into that world. Do you believe transformation will come? Do you? Amen. Let's move on. We won't sing anymore, I promise. (laughs) But are, are we reminded of the faithfulness of God over all time? But Moses here reminds people, points them to, just by their being, the abundance of God. Look with me in verse 9. Moses says, At that time I said to you, You are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers, so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you, as he has promised. You see, as these people are standing there in the plains of Moab, on the edge of the promised land. And they look gathered around them, they see more people than they can even see at, at, at one time. And the only conclusion they can possibly reach is that God has been faithful to us. God has been faithful to His promise. A 100-year-old man named Abraham 
and his 90-year-old wife, Sarah, by the miraculous power of God himself, had a son. A hundred years old, 90 years old, one son. And through that one son came all of these millions of people gathered there in the plains of Moab. God overcame every frailty, every potential danger to that new family line from a couple that may not have been able to have a child or, or the death of a child or perhaps no sons born to the family so that the daughters were given to other families. God overcame that. I have five children, four daughters, one son. I love them all equally. But if my son doesn't have any children, and if my son doesn't have a son, that's it. That's it for the Craig Bailey line. It is no more. Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, don't, 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 don't tell me your opinion one way or the other. Natural disaster, like a famine that could have wiped out the fledgling family of Abraham before it could grow. Look, God overcame all these possibilities, all the fragile, tentative moments, so that a family that has now become a nation is gathered at the edge of the promised land, eager to receive God's gift to them. What should you conclude standing there in that moment? You should think about the faithfulness of God to do what He promises to do. You should think about the power of God who is able to accomplish every one of His purposes. You should feel the excitement of being right in the center of what God intends to do in the world. But what you really can't miss is the abundance of God. Look again in verse 10. Moses doesn't credit their virility as the cause of their growth. He credits God. God has increased your numbers so that you are as many as the stars in the sky. And perhaps there was no greater um, example of abundance than the, the stars in a Middle Eastern sky at a time before there was any light pollution whatsoever. What must it have looked like on a Middle Eastern evening to look up and see all the myriad of stars? That's the abundance of God's blessing. And over and over in Scripture, when God refers to the promised land, he describes it this way, that it's a good land, a spacious land. And he always calls it this, a land flowing with milk and honey, gushing, an abundance of milk and honey. An abundance of milk because there's an abundance of cattle and livestock. An abundance of honey because the vegetation is so lush and there's all that pollen for the bees to make all that honey. It's flowing with milk, flowing with honey. It's the abundance of God. The land is good. The land is big. The land is spacious. When the spies went in to check out the land, they cut one cluster of grapes. As an example, on the cluster of grape, that one cluster was so big, two men had to carry it on a pole between them. That's the abundance of God. Now look in verse 12. Moses says, but, but how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. And so look what becomes Moses' biggest challenge. Moses' biggest challenge in his life becomes managing the blessing of, managing the abundance of all God has given. And that's the same job. That is the same job that you and I have this morning. You and I are to be managers of the lavish abundance of God. It's true. I don't know where we get in our lives as individuals, and I don't know where we get in our lives as, uh, as a church or, or churches in general, the, the, the meager mentality, meager mentality, or the, the settle for syndrome in our lives and ministries. 
If you are not experiencing abundance in your life, why not? If we're not experiencing abundance in our church, why not? Where is the problem? Is the problem with God? Is it? Is the problem with God? Do you think it is? Do you? Do you? No. Does God lack? No. Where's the problem? It's with us. And I'm not talking about an abundance of stuff that we accumulate for ourselves. I'm talking about abundance of what really counts forever. An abundance of work for the kingdom of God. An abundance of growth for the kingdom of God as disciples are are, are being made. I'm talking about abundance of life that Jesus said he came to give. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. A rich life, a full life. A life where there are great big clusters of the fruit of the Spirit hanging off of us for everyone to see. Clusters of love and clusters of peace and clusters of patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. There they are in our lives, abundantly. Do you have that kind of abundant life? I'm talking about abundance of kingdom growth of nets that Jesus tells about that are so full of every kind of fish that the nets are about to break. I'm talking about 180 gallons of water recently turned into the best wine that you have ever tasted. I'm talking about a, a big, lavish tree growing from a little tiny seed that's so big that the birds of the air make their nests in it. I'm talking about Jesus saying, Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full pressed down, shaken together to make more, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. This is the abundance of God. And if we're not experiencing abundance, why not? What's the cause? Are we ready for it? If we're not ready to experience the abundance of God, what are we doing to get ready to manage the abundance of God? Because God is not going to squander his good gifts on us. Why should he entrust us with abundance if it means we do nothing with it? We don't manage it. We don't take care of it. With God, life can be like drinking out of a fire hydrant, taking a sip out of a fire hydrant. He is so lavish and so abundant. Jesus told the story of a man who went on a journey. And before he left, he entrusted five talents of money to one man. To a servant. And that servant managed that money well, and he made five more for a total of ten. A second servant was given two talents of money, and he managed his money so well that he made two more, so the two became four. The third servant was entrusted with one talent, and he went and hid it in the ground because he was afraid. And, and when the master returned, he said to his first two servants, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. To the third servant, the master said, You wicked, lazy servant. And then the master instructed, Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is the way the Lord works. To those who faithfully use what the Lord entrusts, he gives more. 
He gives much. To those who fearfully hoard or hide or hang on to what the Lord gives, He takes even the little they have away. Because that's not why God gives. To hoard, to hang on to, to hide in fear. We've got to long to be ones to whom the Lord entrusts much. That's what we need to strive for. To be ones to whom God entrusts more because we so faithfully manage and steward everything that God sends our way. Abundance is the way of God. Was Jesus' life and death on the cross barely sufficient? To barely help us get by? Was it? No. The life produced by Jesus' death is sufficient. Sufficient for worlds of worlds of people. It's enough. It's more than enough. Why then is it ever appropriate to be meager, minded, whole, digging, treasure barriers? It isn't ever appropriate. You and I need to look for and ask for abundance. And because you have the Spirit of Jesus in you, you'll know the right kind of abundance to ask for. And you'll be asking for the Lord to use you to minister to others so that broken people can become whole. You'll be asking the Lord to use the gifts that He's given you through the ministry of reconciliation. Stuff abundance to have for yourself, it's never going to satisfy you. It's never going to satisfy me because it goes against the Jesus spirit in us. The spirit of the man who gave all, who was rich, Scripture says, but yet for our sakes became poor. Moses looks at the abundance. The people already are, and he says in verse 11, May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times. And bless you as already as, as he has promised. As great as this blessing is, and they're seeing it, with God there can be more, a thousand times more. And so how amazing would it be if God blessed us with so much abundance that the biggest burden in our lives as individuals and our biggest burden as a church became like Moses, trying to manage, trying to deal with, trying to steward all the abundance that God or to dump out on us. You know what your life is like right now, and I know what my life is like. And the best thing for us to do, the best thing for all of us to do, is just be honest with the Lord. If there's abundance in our life, praise God, thank Him for it. If there's not abundance, if there is not an abundance of disciples being made, by you and through you, if people aren't being blessed in your life by your gospel actions and your gospel words, if those clusters of the fruit of the Spirit aren't hanging from you, if your life is not abundant in that way, why not? Do you not want abundance? Do you not seek abundance? Do you not pray for abundance? Do you fear the responsibility that comes with abundance? Do you believe that abundance is for someone else, but not for someone like you? Do you even believe that abundance exists? Because I'm telling you, it does. And so we don't need to defend ourselves or excuse ourselves 
for the lack of abundance in our lives as individuals or as a church, that's not going to do anybody any good to defend, to make excuses. Won't do anybody good. Not when God has so much to pour out. And not when we know that He pours it out through His church. God is sovereign. He will do what He wants to do and where He wants to do it. But you and I need to be looking for ways in our lives that we may be neglecting or blocking the blessings of God. And finding out what God wants us to learn or believe or trust before He dumps on us so that He will pour out and we will be faithful managers. And I will say this before I finish and then I am done and we're going to get to the table of the Lord. If you are here this morning and you are not experience abundance because you have never placed your faith in Christ for salvation, you need to do that because I'm telling you there is no other abundant life of any kind outside of Christ. You have a problem. If you've never trusted in Christ and that problem is sin. And we may think sin is fun for for a while, but that sin will destroy you and will destroy your life. And the good news is that there is someone, the Lord Jesus Christ, who can deal with your sin problem. And this table that we are going to come to this morning, if you've never thought about this before, that's how much the Lord wants you to experience abundance. He wants it so much, He said, I'm going to give my life on the cross in your place so that you can experience an abundance of life. So let the Lord deal with your sin problem. Confess your sin. Jesus, I promise, will forgive you and you will start experiencing that abundance of life in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the reminder of, from your word, of your character, of your faithfulness, Lord, to fulfill every promise you have made. We thank you, Lord, for your timelessness, that you are our constant, unchanging God in a world that seems in 2013 to change more than it's ever changed in all of recorded history. We thank you that you are constant, that you are unchanging, that you are forever God. And Lord, we thank you for the abundance of who you are. Lord, you desire to to pour out, to lavish your abundance, your grace on your people. You tell us so over and over in your word. That's your mentality. And so, Father, I pray that you would, in this place, at this time, banish the meager mentality. That you would banish the, the, the mentality that, that just says, I'll, I'll settle for less. No, Lord, we need to seek you for abundance and trust that you will provide it. Lord, I pray that you would make us faithful stewards. If we're not ready to receive your blessing, make us ready, Lord. Put us in a place so, so that when you pour out your blessing on us and, and through us, through this commun- to this community, uh, th- that we'll be faithful managers faithful stewards, multiplying what you give us and making it more for your kingdom's sake. Do this innocent through us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.